Welcome to The Gallery Gap, a podcast that examines equity and inequity in museums, exhibitions, collections, and programming. I'm Claire. And I'm Melissa. In this episode, Claire and I are exploring Haitian art. And before you ask, yes, there is a reason for us to be talking about Haitian art in the context of the Quad Cities. As you may or may not know, the Figgy holds one of the larger museum collections of Haitian art outside of Haiti, and was, in fact, one of the first art museums to collect artwork from a Haitian artist for its permanent collection. This was in 1967, when the Figgy was known as the Davenport Municipal Art Gallery. This initial donation of 19 Haitian artworks was made by Dr. Walter Neiswanger, a Davenport pathologist who believed in a more inclusive approach to collecting art. Note that at this time, this was becoming a trend in museums, and it extended to include art from Africa, the Pacific, and the Americas, as opposed to from art from only the Western canon, which was what was being heavily collected before. Dr. Neiswanger lived simply so that he could direct his wealth toward charitable causes from everything from helping the homeless to supporting the fine arts. He first went to Haiti in the early 1960s and fell in love with the colorful and vibrant paintings and sculptures being produced there. He returned many times over the years as he supported Haitian art and culture and eventually brought more art patrons from Davenport to experience the extreme creativity and talent of Haitian artists. Around then, museums, including the Davenport Municipal Art Gallery, were beginning to invest in making their spaces more educational and community-based. If we think more broadly, this was a time of increased efforts towards social change in the United States. People were organizing against oppression in a number of areas, civil rights and women's rights, just to name two. And the museums responded by reassessing their role in society and by reconsidering the role of visitors to museums. The Davenport Museum was not the only one to turn its attention to a more expansive role of collecting, exhibiting, and educating. But bringing it back to the present, the Figgy has continued to collect and exhibit Haitian art in its permanent galleries as well as in its special exhibitions. This is important for a number of reasons, but for our conversation here, it's especially important because Haitian art has largely been created by self-taught artists, or those who are considered to be outsider artists, that is, artists who have honed their craft outside of traditional training frameworks. That we are now seeing Haitian art featured in major museums around the world is significant and refreshing. If you're in the area, we recommend checking out the permanent installations at the Waterloo Center for the Arts, the Milwaukee Art Museum, and the Haitian American Art Museum in Chicago, to name a few. And, of course, the Figgy. Considering that a new exhibition of works by Haitian artist Edouard Duval-Carry just opened at the Figgy, Melissa and I decided that now is a perfect time to dig into the topic of Haitian art. First, a bit of background information. People who live in what is now known as Haiti, a country that shares the Caribbean island of Hispaniola with the Dominican Republic, have been creating art dating back to the Taino people, the indigenous culture on the island. As the Spanish and then the French colonized the land and the people, the art and culture has changed over the centuries. Another large factor in this change was the importation of slave labor from West Africa in the 18th century. Indigenous artistic form has blended with Western and African influences to create what is now known as distinctly Haitian art. Another major factor that has contributed to our study of Haitian art occurred in the year 1944. This was the year that an American English teacher working in Haiti, DeWitt Peters, fulfilled his dream of creating a center for art in Haiti. Until that time, there were no art galleries and little, if any, support of art as a profession. This was not to say that people weren't creating art. It's just that art as a profession wasn't as common there and then as in other parts of the world. 
Thanks in large part to Peters and his work with Le Centre d'Art, Haitian artists continue to find support for their work through arts education, exhibitions, and the community. While the Centre was severely damaged during the massive earthquake that struck Haiti in 2010, it is reopened with a spirit of resilience that carries forth. One of the many artists who has benefited from the Centre over the years is Edouard Duval-Carie, who, quick reminder, is the artist whose work is currently on view on the fourth floor of the Figgy. We were lucky to have Edouard in the Quad Cities a few weeks ago for the opening of his exhibition, along with a collaborative partner of his, Dr. Alfredo Rivera of Grinnell College in Grinnell, Iowa. Together, Edouard and Fredo have been working on a number of exciting projects that explore Haitian history through visual documentation and creativity, and their stop at the Figgy was around the same time that they were preparing to present on their current artwork and research at the Haitian Art Society's annual meeting in Waterloo, Iowa. During their stay in the Quad Cities, Melissa and I had the opportunity to spend more time with them in the recording studio and are thrilled to share portions of that conversation with you today. Because we had so much fun speaking with Edouard and Fredo, this is going to be one of our longer episodes. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Or the listen. So you've been interested in art since an early age. Can you share with our listeners how and when you decided to pursue a career in the arts were there any artists who have been influential to your artistic growth in the past, or we can talk about in the contemporary moment? And so this is a three-part question. What role did the Centre d'Art play in this? Well, I, I will start with the last, okay. uh, the <laughs> last comment, which is about the Centre d'Art. I was born effectively in Haiti. Um, my parents moved away uh, to Puerto Rico for a while, and, the re- and we, they decided to return. Of course, you know, like they moved out of Haiti because of political strife and all of these things, wanting us to have, you know, like a proper education and not be, I mean, at the time they were like, I mean, interruptions in the schooling that were, that were very serious. So we moved to Puerto Rico and then we returned. And the re, that, you know, like from 9 to 13 in Puerto Rico and suddenly back to, you know, like, I mean, U.S. territory back to, you know, like Haiti per se. And it was quite a shock for me, you know, like to, you know, like to see where I really came from, understand it. You know, when you grow up, you never really pay attention, even though it's there for you. Um, so uh, upon returning... Um, I took some classes that my mother was always, you know, oh, you you are an artist. You have, I mean, I had no idea. <laughs> Maybe she saw something. Anyways, we I took classes and uh, a, mainly with artists that were tied up with the Santuda. So I've been, you know, like, you know, like with that particular institution. I mean, a lot of my life, and uh, uh, and it has formed my vision of Haiti. To tell you frankly, you know, like me. Uh, um, understanding these artists and seeing where they came from and how they produ- produce their work and just being around with them, you know, like realize their their social conditions and all sorts of things like that. So it was a very educational kind of uh, um, procedure for me, you know, like to be affiliated with that, with that center. And, you know, like here I am, you know, like very much later in my life and realizing that that particular institution in Haiti is the institution, you know, like that matters, is the institution that has permeated and maintained itself, you know, like through all the types of problematics that that country faces. And uh, I am determined to make sure that they still, you know, like when I pass away or whatever, that they still continue to exist because it is a very, you know, like fundamental uh, and uh, very... um, 
I mean, special space, you know, like in the in the in the artistic, you know, like world of Haiti. How it started really was uh, the, the 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 church, the Episcopalian Church in Haiti, um, commissioning the uh, works of art in the in the thirties or forties, you know, uh, by the artists of the Santo Da. And uh, uh, that was, you know, like that created, you know, like quite a stir, not only in Haiti, but at, at, the, at an international level, in the sense that here is a church that is, you know, like not the predominant, you know, like faith in Haiti or, or, or you know, like religious, you know, like a, uh, a group that is, of it, but still manages, you know, like to get into the, you know, like the, 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 the sick of things and really, you know, like understand, you know, like that there's a cultural production in that country and foment it through commissioning. And uh, unfortunately, that building is, has collapsed, but it was, you know, like a sight to see. I mean, you know, like all of these murals, you know, like presented, you know, and it just created a stir in the, in the art world, not only in Haiti, but everywhere else, you know. I mean, suddenly, I mean, there is a Haitian art. One of the interesting things mentioning this church is yeah. that it, with um, Dewitt Peters and some, um, it was Selden Rodman right. who commissioned these. Um, the murals of the Holy Trinity, as, which, as Edouard mentioned, a lot of it was destroyed. Was you had a lot of artists who, within their artwork, expressed not just Christian ideas but ideas of voodoo, and suddenly they were bringing brought into this Christian space to sort of um, create expressions related to Christianity. So it was something quite unique, particularly if you compare it to the type of representations you'd see within a Catholic church. Yes, in comparison, sure. I mean, it, w- it would have been an anathema for the Catholic Church to even, you know, like consider something like that. I mean, and you know, and even after years and years and years, and that they still, you know, I mean, I proposed, uh, for example, recently to uh, to the church, the Catholic Church in Haiti, in the rebuilding, because they did manage to get a lot of money to rebuild all the churches. And uh, he, they came to the studio and they looked at it and said, hmm, too much voodoo here. And they just turned around and left. I mean, and it's not, you know, like, I, it's, it's a question of looking at, you know, like, at, at the production, understanding it. And first of all, you know, like, three quarters of, you know, like, I mean, voodoo is, a, I, mean, that's, I mean, to get into a completely different subject, voodoo in Haiti is, like, to- totally immersed with the Catholic, uh, Catholic Church. So, you know, like, I mean, how do you deal with that? Do you understand? I mean, it's a question of purity of, 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 of vision or, or, you know, like, be like the, or be like, it was, the different things were, like, either be like the Episcopalian Church who taking a leap of faith, saying these artists, you know, are artists, and they can be commissioned and can be, you know, like, you know, like demanded to do something that's pertinent to the commissioner, you understand? And, or, you know, like, I mean, talk about purity and stuff like that. I mean, you know, if, if it was like what the, the position of the Catholic Church in Haiti would be, there would be no new world art. You understand? It would be, you know, like just transposing whatever, you know, happened in Europe in the new world. You understand? And you, you wouldn't get, you know, like all these, the colonial works from Mexico, from the rest of Latin America, and even from the United States, you know, like from, you know, like colonial period, which are very peculiar. They are, you know, like they're, they're very interesting. They are new. They are new. Mm-hmm. You understand? So that's, that's the difference I wanted to, and how it started, you know? I was thinking about, again, something I had read in your uh, previous interview, which was that you came to really dig in with voodoo 
um, not out in the open at first. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Is that something that you pursued on your own, just in, in yes. inter- through an interest because it was so integrated into? Yes. I mean, first of all, how can you live in Haiti? You know, I mean, yeah. the motto, the, the basic motto in Haiti, you're 99% voodoo or and 99% Catholic. <laughs> so, I mean, you start from there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how can you deny one or the, or sure. or not be aware of it? You know, I mean, I, I, I find it completely, you know, like uh, laughable when somebody says, oh, you know, like voodoo, huh? You know, especially I mean, being Haitian or living there, because I mean, you, 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 you. It's a part of daily life. You know, like everybody talks about it. Everybody is in either doing it, or you know, I like believe in it, or you know, like are aware of it. So you know, like to claim that it's something that's to- totally not uh, of the of the place. You know, like would be completely ridiculous. So you mentioned um, splitting your the formative years of your youth between Puerto Rico and and Haiti, but you also did a lot of travel for your studies, and now you reside and work in Miami. Absolutely. Although you travel quite a bit too, and and that I the idea of movement comes up a lot in your work and has it seems like for quite a while. So. Um, could you reflect a bit on maybe personal connections to movement and migration with then colonized Haiti and the movement that was coming over from West Africa, from Europe? Well, I mean, it's it's evident that it's there. But, I mean, I really was confronted with it. Uh, when I moved to France, I was invited to celebrate the uh, bicentennial of the French Revolution. And, of course, you know, like our stories, the, the French story and the American stories are one and the same. You understand? It's like a movement, freedom movement that started here in this country, you know, like went to France and immediately you know like was had responses in haiti and to the amazement of everybody especially the united states that what they purported not only for for themselves but for the whole of the of the americas you know the only respondent was a little hate i mean a little place like haiti i mean i think that's one thing that this country has still yet to fathom you understand that you know like their their cry for liberty their cry for freedom and stuff like that the only response they got from the rest i mean you know like immediately was haiti they had to foment, you know, like the the whole thing through Monroe Doctrine and all, all of these things, you know, like for, for two centuries to arrive to where we are today. But, you know, like I still think that, you know, like that the first response they got was from a place from France first and then a place like like Haiti was to them. You know, I mean, I, st- I still think it's a, like something that they're still studying. Why did it happen? How it happened? And the repercussions of all of that, which are numerous, you understand? And what I want to say also is that uh, I have, you know, like my life, I mean, as you say, it's been movement, but it's been also a lot of research, you know, because I mean, Haiti's story is, uh, is, is one very fraught with, with even within the Haitian country, because I mean, we look at Haiti from the moment of its revolution, you know, like and and, and onward. But you have 150 years of tying with Europe, a European power like France, its modes and its thing. So you know, like I mean, that whole 150 years. I mean, to us, we have to really study it for us to understand what really happened. And really, when you look at, into that, you realize, you know, like the connections, you know, like the international connections of a place like you know, like Haiti, Saint Domingue at the time, and how you know, like how fundamental they are not only for Haiti but for the whole concept of what the new world was all about you understand you know like plantation economies and stuff like that and uh, the production of sugar commodities and so and how you know like these were the 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 how would I say the 
modes of production, not only of a place like a little colony like Haiti, but for the rest of the continent and the United States included. You understand this country prides itself, you know, like of being different, of being wealthy, of doing this and this and that. But it follows the same kind of, you know, like setups that places like Haiti, Brazil, or I mean, you know, like it's the, it was the New World, and it was the way it was used or or perceived was a place of production and exploitation. So you know, like I mean, those are the kind of things that you know, like you you learn, you know, like as you. Well, I learned as I grew up uh, and uh, did research in it. And even today, for example, I'm here with uh, Alfredo because we have a project together at Greenell to look at, you know, like this area, you understand? And it's, you know, like what's the history behind and what are maybe ties with Haiti? And believe you me, they are. <laughs> you understand? I mean, it's, I mean, hence maybe the interest in collecting, you know, like culture and, and cultural artifacts from a place like Haiti because there is a history or because there is a perceived history. Or, I mean, people just, you know, like get it. You know, like we understand it. We, you know, like we are part of it. And, you know, like and, and, and because I don't understand it. And, and it's really now that we're doing all types of research uh, concerning that, I mean, the Underground Railroad, you know, like the sale of the Louisiana territory, you know, like it's that the tie with Haiti, you know, like, I mean, it, I mean, there's like so many connections, you know, and I'm also doing, a pro for example, a project in North, uh, uh, in North Florida. I mean, I had no idea that there were, you know, like the Marquis of Lafayette was given some land and it was at the time when the revolution in Haiti happened and, you know, like also a whole group of emigres showed up in that region. You understand? So, you know, like there is that whole thing and that whole the whole discussion about slavery, the whole discussion about I mean, you know, like was all, almost like a reaction to the Haitian Revolution. You understand? What do we do? You understand? So it was a, it was a very serious kind of thing. So all of these things, you know, like creep up into my work some way or somehow. Of course I'm an artist and of course I'm interested in, in, in modes of expression, you know, like mediums and this and that. But, you know, like they, 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 it's always a combination with this particular history, which I find, you know, like complicated, complex and trying to elucidate it. And even a question like, you know, like why this collectioning of, of you know, like uh, cultural artifacts from places like Haiti, you know, like in major collections in this state? You understand? So maybe we can yeah, discuss think, about yeah, that. Maybe we can transition to sure. that. Sure. Yeah. No, that sounds great. So the let, let's talk about that and also the Haitian Art Society. And when we, by the time we publish this, the, the conference will have ended. Mm -hmm. But we can still speak of it, you know, with the understanding that this interview happened beforehand. Why? <laughs> what are we doing here? Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing in that's a very That's a very thoughtful uh, question, an articulate question. I've, I've, <laughs> I have been aware of that association for many, many years, and they've been in existence. I don't know exactly for how long, but I remember them visiting me in Miami when they had a, uh, one of their reunions there. And, uh, um, I mean, they are, you know, like, I mean, very tied up, again, to the Centre d'Art, to the history of, of, of the United States and uh, Haitian art, which is via and, uh, the Centre d'Art itself, I mean, as an institution. And, uh, uh, I mean, the, the, their aim is, is to ma make sure, I mean, they, they have many, many aims. You know, like one of them, of course, is to maintain the cultural interest of, of, of collections of the sort that they have. And also, you know, like to, to, to discuss 
the the future of you know like value wise the you know like the 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 the, the worth of of uh, Haitian art. So I mean that's those those are I mean they have, they have a lot of things happening there. But to me those were the two uh, elements that you know like were consistently being harped upon at those you know like reunions and the discussions that that ensued from that it was not really strictly you know like of of invent of an inventory of 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 you know like what's being produced or what has been produced it was mainly those two things you know like uh what is going on you know like our their place in that history and also maintaining the values of of, of what they have if i may provide an art historical context um it's really interesting to think about the sort of interest upon the U.S. among collectors, among cultural practitioners in Haiti. And it also parallels um, in a quite interesting way with um, the surrealist avant-garde coming into Haiti. Um, you particularly have um, figures like Pierre Mabille, André Breton, Rafredo Lam, who in uh, 1941 were escaping World War II um, with the rise of the Nazis coming into France. And they first travel to Martinique and meet with Aimé um, Césaire and look at what he's doing with Tropique magazine. And they're thinking about negritude. They're thinking about how the ideas within surrealism relate to something like Haiti. And they see something quote-unquote primordial. They see something significant within the context of Haiti when you have these surrealists with Rafael Lam traveling to Haiti and then to Cuba. So this fascination with Haiti, I think, exists in multiple levels. You can also look at sort of writers like Langston Hughes, um, yeah. Zora Neale Hurston traveling to Haiti. So it's really fascinating to think historically from the sort of U.S. occupation period, which exists between 1915 and 1934, into sort of the aftermath, how Haiti becomes this place of certain cultural fascination. And the works of the artist really speak to that in really incredible ways. I also want to backtrack to something Edouard had mentioned earlier, um, and that was sort of thinking about the reverberations of the Haitian Revolution, um, and particularly with um, one of the things he's working on this project at Grinnell, it's really exciting, and we're looking at concepts of freedom and abolition um, and creating these resin blocks that are going to be part of a permanent installation. And when Edouard visited back in February, he became particularly interested in the history of the college, which has its roots in Davenport. It was founded by a band of abolitionists who then ended up in Grinnell, Iowa. They thought it'd be the epicenter of Iowa because that's where the train tracks met. Quite not. But... Um, <laughs> But it's it's very interesting. One of the points I've been making as we're doing this project is that Iowa would not be what it is today if it weren't for Haiti, because it was very much the Haitian Revolution um, that was a catalyst for the um, Napoleon to sell Louisiana, for the Louisiana Purchase to come into being. So we could thank Haiti for Iowa being part of the United States, I like Thanks, to say. <laughs> There's there's a name that we haven't mentioned yet that I, I think we probably should just because of the history in Iowa um, with Haitian art, but also specifically with Davenport, and that's Dr. Walter Neiswanger. Uh, you met him a long, long time ago. Long, long time ago. <laughs> I mean, this, this, uh, uh, this group of individuals, when they showed up, I mean, and they showed up at a very critical moment in my life, in my particular life. So this is why I feel, you know, like this great affinity with, you know, like with the region, with the museum here and with you know like i mean and i've realized that you know like i mean these are kind of things that were forged and only once in a lifetime i mean it was my first i had just returned from canada where i was been studying and i brought my little paintings and stuff like that when presented it to the director of the Centre da france Mura back back then and and uh, we were mounting my exhibit and she announced you know like oh by the way you know like the the and she called it like that the davenport contingent is coming <laughs> because it was not just one person it was always like a whole group <laughs> 
anyways, I said, okay, great, you know, like what, whatever, you know, I mean, like wonderful, I'm delighted. Anyways, indeed, they showed up and they were very excited with my work and they bought my first piece. I was just like, you know, like floored that, you know, like my first exhibit, you know, I mean, I thought I would have been, you know, like panned and, you know, like, as, I mean, which they did up to a certain point in Haiti because, you know, like they said, what is this, you know, like a, a son of a wealthy merchant, you know, like playing the peasant, you know, I mean, things like that, you know, I mean, I said, what are they talking about? But, you know, like, I mean, they, myself, I was always very interested in the popular and the, the, the essence, you know, like of Haiti. And they just could not fathom that somebody like me who had been living in Puerto Rico and that, you know, was destined to go to university. I mean, that was come from academic background and stuff like that. Be interested in the production of artists, you know, like that were, you know, like uh, self-taught. I do have a, a question. I heard a rumor that with the money from that first piece, you bought a car. An international harvester. As it was on its way out. <laughs> I think I was the last purchase of that company. So, um, so we're celebrating the opening today of Endless Flight. And the exhibition includes a multi-part altarpiece as well as some paintings. And I thought we could talk a little bit about... Your choices for what work we included in this exhibition here at the Figgy and how that fits into the framework of your current working practice. But production. Yeah, production. Um, do the, I moved to Miami uh, in the 9293 and uh, realized, you know, like that, you know, like probably that city in the United States is like the forefront of its interaction on a practically literally daily basis with that particular nation which is you know like very adjacent and uh, there were in a plenty of strife down there as always uh there was you know like a mass exodus because of uh the ousting of uh, father aristide i remember and the shores of florida were being you know like i mean they were incessantly on a daily basis uh it, it, you know, like corralling boats, you know, like coming from Haiti. And the, the situation was such that they didn't know, you know, like how to really react, you know. I mean, yes, they were, you know, like, I mean, they, 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 they are, they, the, the discussion was whether Haitians were really political, uh, uh, you know, like should give, be given political asylum status or if they were just economic thing but you know like having you know like the situation in haiti being so political you understand i mean it, it was you know like i mean an influx of of refugees that was you know like incessant at the time uh i decided uh to uh they offered me an exhibit at the at the uh, now now called perez but it was then the miami art museum and they i i proposed you know like for for you know, like an, uh, an installation, and the installation was called Endless Flight. And, and I've been, always been interested, I mean, as we started uh, this discussion on migrations, movement, and stuff like that. So I just wanted to tie in the the, the, the slave period to, to, you know, like that, it, that's, a, I mean, in the case of Haiti, it's like a one continuum from, you know, like the days the slaves, you know, like left Africa three or four centuries ago, and, you know, like to today and this migration towards the United States or anywhere else, because that's not, I just went to, to Chile, and Chile has uh, uh, received more than 75,000 Haitians. How did they get there? Nobody knows. 
You understand? And it's 75. I mean, when you realize, I mean, you know, that's a lot of people to the point that, you know, like any person of, you know, like dark skin in Santiago de Chile is a Haitian. <laughs> I mean, I was just like walking down the street and, you know, like, and I would stop by and said, start speaking Creole to them. Ah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it was hysterical. Anyways. So, you know, like, I mean, the, the United States should not feel that they are the only, you know, like, I mean, uh, target of, of you know, like Haitian refugees. Why do they come here? It's everywhere. I mean, from, you know, like from the, I mean, the neighboring islands or, the, the, or, you know, like to places like Chile, which is really far. You understand? So uh, at the time I decided to create an, an, an also, you know, like to, to diffuse this whole thing because there was no there, there was no talk without talking about this voodoo thing you understand there is like a like a general hysteria when it comes to you know like to that to that particular religion and this is not from today this is like since the beginning you know i mean they managed to rebel and it was their gods that you know like me so they're bad gods you know i don't i don't think hollywood helps uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely <laughs> not. Yes, <laughs> right. Yes. So you know, like I was, I mean, in one sweep with one installation, my aim was like to show, you know, like the constant, you know, like I mean, migrations of individuals, you know, like I mean, forcibly or not forcibly, um, show also, you know, like that they carried a very strong culture. And that maybe by understanding that culture and their gods and this and that, so I created a, a flotilla of you know like of boats and and things and showed you know like I mean this this you know like this movement you know like not only across time but across you know like I mean space and uh, warning the Haitians. I mean the the idea was to warn the Haitians that they might be losing their gods if they continue, you know, like not organizing themselves and keeping, you know, like the country in a certain way. But also, you know, like to guess who's coming to dinner for the Americans. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> so you know <laughs> so that was the aim behind the, 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 the installation, which was, you know, like financed of course by the Figgy and uh and was presented first in Miami because it was this particular program that they had where they invited an artist and they gave him a space. So, you know, like, I mean, it was... Uh, I had done one... Uh, one once previous to that, and, uh, when I was invited to France, another installation about, you know, like, slavery and this and that. So this one was more, you know, like, of a current type of, of, of uh, dialectics and, you know, like, pro problematics. So, you know, like it was then presented in Miami, presented a second time in uh, um, here at, at Davenport. They and, just opened the new museum. At the yeah, yes. they had just opened a museum and they, they gave me a, probably what would be called a mid-career retrospective because it was a three floors. Yeah, it was uh, quite a, a re reunion of, of, of work uh, for my production. And now, you know, like, I mean, they're proudly taking, taking it out again. I mean, after how many years? Maybe 10 years. For me, it was especially exciting to see this installation because I suddenly remembered that I had first saw the installation as a high school student in Miami at the Miami Art Museum in their project gallery. So I remember seeing it in this iteration and turning to Eduard. I'm like, this was at the Miami Art Museum, wasn't it? And as an undergraduate, I became interested in Caribbean art. I spent a summer at U Minnesota working with Jane Blocker, and I wrote a paper about three Caribbean American artists. And as an undergrad, I wrote about this installation. And then my senior year of college, I went to college at Grinnell. It's my alma mater. 
I ended up going to the Figgy and seeing the mid-career retrospective. So to me, it was super surreal <laughs> to see, see this? this installation in its sort of yeah. third iteration as sure. a complete installation. And it, it's really fantastic. It is. And I think that our space where we have it now on the fourth floor. Um, oh, it's a lovely space. It's very supportive of, of that the kind of, physicality yeah. of that work, you know, because the because Endless Flight. So there's Endless Flight, the exhibit, but then there's Endless Flight, which is this multi-piece altar. Mm-hmm. Um the altarpiece. And then the other works that you have, the more current or more recent paintings that are on display, they don't have the same physicality. They're not three-dimensional, but at the, but, but at the same time, they're, they're large-scale, and they're so enticing. How did you, how did you decide to pair, getting back to Claire's yeah. question, how did you decide to pair certain paintings that you've been doing over the past I think about a decade with mm-hmm. this multi-piece altar. Well, uh, I have been, you know, very interested when I did that particular installation. It was, you know, I, I mean, most of my work is done site-specific. Yeah. You understand? For example, even though I knew it was going to co- to come here, I didn't even ask because I knew you were in transition. You know, so I decided to build that installation for a space in Miami, and you know, like I'm so happy that it. it it can be, you know, like, I mean, it can be transported into a new space with just as much impact as it had in Miami, even even grander, because, I mean, the, the rooms at the Miami Art Museum are, were not as... They were small. They were small. I mean, it was very compressed. So you're overwhelmed you're in, a very, in a different way. And and now I, they are, like, much more... And airy. within the space, I feel like you had to use lighting in a way. Yes. In a much different way. What's interesting, seeing it in the context of the figgy, because it's a much more sort of open space architecturally, that it could hang in the bright lights and you could have a greater separation. So in Miami, it's as if you were sort of traversing through these boats within this darkened space with sort of bright spotlights. And I think in both contexts, it uplifts you, but it it does have a different sentiment. Yeah, and uh, he, I've complimented them with, uh, I mean, somebody was saying, you know, like, oh, you know, like your work has become bigger, you know, like, or, you know, like much more. I said, this installation is quite big. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've toned down. <laughs> you know, I mean, they really were saying that. I said, I said what are they talking about? <laughs> that my work is, has gone, you know, like much bigger. I said, do you think I can go bigger than this installation? That you're... <laughs> yeah, it's something about that. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I've been given a, a few... Um, I mean, I continue working and I'm always trying to find things, but moments of crystallization, as I would call them, of where, you know, like, I mean, what a few years of studies, you know, like, or, of, or looking at different ways of making things. Uh, there was a moment about two or three years ago when the uh, uh, Perez Museum, which had just been built, offered me to, you know, like one of their rooms to do a site-specific installation. And that particular museum, you know, like is from the city where I live right now, which I, where I've been living almost 20 years now. So I have great affinities with the space. So I decided to, you know, like to delve into a, a completely different um, di- dialectic. I mean, where Haiti was not the central, even though it, it is still very important, you know, like to me, but to look more at art history in, in general and to, you know, like to find out what are the perceptions of the Caribbean, you know, like that whole region of which Miami is, you understand? It's part of the, it's like, to me, I call it the North Caribbean, to the amazement of, you know, like, what is he talking about? Yes, you know, like, I mean, this is the North, I mean, the Central and South Caribbean, you know, and Miami, a city like Miami, and even its its environs, you know, like, I mean, the whole South 
South, you know, like a Florida kind of situation is a Caribbean situation. And it follows, you know, like the whole history of the region. So, I mean, I just wanted to see, you know, like to understand myself, per, you know, like first, you know, like the relationship of a country like the United States and how they've created this whole idea of, you know, like sea, sun and beaches of, you know, like the, one of the most horrible experiments in human history, which is plantation economies. You understand? So how does, how does that, you know, like, I mean, equal, you know, how does it, yeah. where does it come from? And I realized that during the, the mid and to late 19th century, the, the, there was a will of the United States as a nascent, you know, like imperial nation, you know, like to determine what, what was their sphere of influence. You understand? They first started with this Monroe Doctrine where the Americas was untouchable. They were, you know, like, I mean, you know, like cut the ties with, you know, like with Europe and stuff like that. So businessmen and people in the, you know, like to the South, you know, the Caribbean and the rest of South America and... Okay, we, you know, like, are you going to buy our sugar, our coffee, or this or that? And, you know, like, oh, what do we do with these people? <laughs> so, you know, like, I mean, a whole uh, research started and also a reconfiguring of that problematic. What do we do, of, you know, like, since we're now the imperial power, how do we show, you know, like the rest of the world that we mean business, I, literally? And what's the, inf you know, like, how we can reorganize this in a more palatable way because we're not going to support I mean as a freedom you know like I mean as a democracy as a you know like place where freedom was nascent and stuff like that they could not support you know like this whole plantation hence you know like the, the civil war here which was one of the worst you know like that ever happened anywhere um because of this problematic, you understand, the United States refused and didn't want to, you know, or partially didn't want to, you know, like continue within, you know, like those parameters. And how could they, you know, like turn around and to their neighbors and stuff like that, continue that kind of, you know, like of. So they recreated the, the, the Caribbean, they recreated South America in their own heads by sending a, a, a battery of artists that went down and reconfigured the landscape or reconfigured the vision of what these landscapes were. So I just really want, wanted to show the, you know, like that these, you know, like this, these were programs, you know, like of, you know, like of revisioning, you know, like a situation, you know, like, like the Caribbean. And these artists, if you look at them, just followed literally what happened when they did, during the discovery. They had to create a new world. So, you know, like, I mean, they presented places like Mexico, presented Haiti, and presented, you know, like, and there was never anybody in the in the in, in the images. It was land to be, you know, like taken, you know, like or invested in, or you know, like do whatever you want. It's it's there for you. So you know, like I mean, I looked at this and presented that that whole exhibit on, you know, like imagined landscape because finally that's what they are. You understand that whole vision of the the, the Hudson School of the Caribbean. It's like a re reinvention of a, of a region. Because, you know, like, they are completely devoid of what really was happening, which was plantation economies, slavery, da, 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 that whole history. Suddenly they were, like, beautiful landscapes, you know, like, devoid. I mean, almost like uh, uh, Edward Hicks kind of paintings, you know, like, of what the United States is. It was supposed to be a place of, you know, like, I mean, a utopia where even animals, you know, like, loved each other, you know what I mean? Like, plays. <laughs> Anyway, I think it's really interesting that you're taking a step back, looking at all of the research and all the history and responding to it in different ways as, as you move through life. Right. Yes, so, 
Was there anything else that you'd like to, to add to this? Or Maybe. Of- uh, I, I want to say that, you know, like, I mean, to stress the fact that I'm very much interested in, in kind of research histories and, and, and trying to tie things up mm-hmm. and create dialogues, you know, like, and one that person that has helped me quite a bit is uh, Alfredo. I mean, as you see, you know, he's been interested in my work, got mm-hmm. to meet me and stuff like that, and I realized that he could type so fast. <laughs> <that> <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, like I give him an A plus. You know, like, he looks at you in the eyes and he's typing. I mean, you know. <laughs> Actually, it was my Haitian middle school teacher, Mr. Legros. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have to thank him. <laughs> he so made we, us type with the folders over our yeah, hands. Yeah, so. I remember that. Oh, yeah. Anyways, I was totally fl- floored by that, and we've worked on a few projects. Hence, uh, where you know, like I, I mean, I've always, I, I, because he was a duke at one point. I mean, he got to uh, uh, to introduce me to people there. I did a stint with uh, Professor Dubois, Laurent and, Dubois, Laurent yes. Dubois, and uh, and Deborah Jensen, Deborah Jensen, who who had just formed this thing called the Haiti Lab. And uh, there, I mean, though they were like completely into you know like uh, what was happening with the post post earthquake and stuff like that. He is the, the uh, foremost uh, specialist on the 19th century in Haiti, which is a big nebula for everybody and every, you know, like Haitians. And what happens after, you know, like uh, to a country after a revolution, like, you know, like the, the, the one we had. So, you know, like, I mean, I read his books and had him at hand to, you know, like questions. And I got totally fascinated with how a, a nation like Haiti, you know, like did its rebuilding after such a, you know, like violent and, and destructive revolution. And we decided, you know, like, right, I mean, I decided right after to, 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 to extend this knowledge and see how, you know, like photo, photography was done, you know, like not too, uh, too long after the, the Haitian revolution in the 30s, 1830s. So I wanted to see visually if we could reconstruct, you know, like, I mean, visually, uh, the the post you know like Haitian Revolution b- nation building and stuff like that and uh, Alfredo if it wasn't for him we would have never been able because he managed to get you know like help me with this project and we did I think it was very successful. Uh, it, um, it's really exciting to work with Edouard as an artist as an art historian of the Caribbean just because I feel Edouard is very much as an artist and a curator, also a historian and an art historian. And the recent exhibition he was talking about um, at the Museum of Contemporary Art in North Miami, I was invited to curate a room within that exhibition, a cabinet of curiosities, you could say, based on objects in his collection. And some of the objects speak to the inspirations within his art, but the others speak to that colonial archive that you're very interested in interrogating within your art. Everything from first and second editions of um, antiquarian books about the colonization of the Caribbean, travel narratives in the Caribbean, um, maps. So these types of documents that very much record the history. So it's interesting to sort of work with an artist who also has this sort of... um, scholarly bent to their work um, and that's very much interested in history and that particularly that photography exhibition when we started it Edouard thought we could do it in about a year and I told him this is going to take at least four years we did. But it, it was, it was fr- from our <laughs> recollection the first ever sort of 
history of photography for any Caribbean island nation, looking from yes. sort of the 19th century to the contemporary moment. So it was really trying to get this exhaustive view and understanding how images relate to our understanding of place. It, and it started with, you know, like, I mean, this historical document. Right. And at the end, we presented, I mean, because the aim for any museum today is like to make sure that they are current and they are doing things that are happening. So what we did was, you know, like to look at Haiti from within and without. So we invited 10 contemporary artists from Haiti and 10 contemporary artists international, I mean, that was that were looking at Haiti and see if there were any discrepancies in the view. So it really the exhibit was called From Within and Without, you know, Haiti Through the Lens. But it was, you know, like, I mean, us, I mean, like the real work, I mean, was like to trying to figure out what happened in the 19th century. And that was like, the, to me, the crux of the matter. Yes, I mean, the, the, what is being produced right now is very interesting. And some wonderful artists, you know, like either from the island or from elsewhere, you know, like looking at, at I mean, with their own sensibilities, the situation of Haiti right now. So we had like post-earthquake, you know, like uh, imagery of Haiti, pre-earthquake imagery. I mean, we had all sorts of things, I mean, the discussions going on. And, uh, I mean, we we did try to cover as much as, as we, we could. could. There were over, I believe, over 300 objects yeah, in yes, the exhibition, yeah. so it's quite massive. And it's interesting because it started at, there, there's this direct connection between Haiti and the U.S. The earliest documentation we have of photography in Haiti goes back to 1851, which is the coronation of... Emperor Salouk, who was a leader of Haiti that came into power in that period. And Edouard actually had a couple prints. And within the prints, um, it mentions that the photographer, that the prints are based on photography by a photographer from New York named Alfred Knopf. We tried to hunt down and see if we could find the original photographs. We could not. But we were able to at least trace back photography to that sort of mid-19th century period in Haiti, which very much speaks to the connection of sort of these 11 port cities within Haiti and sort of these small um, sort of groups of elites who would travel back to Paris. And so then we began to look at the development of Haitians going to Paris and make, creating photographs and then the development of photography studios within Haiti. Mm-hmm. So it's quite an exciting project to sort of start from that historical moment and then bring it to the contemporary. That sounds awesome. Cool. It was, it was, it yeah. was very interesting, uh, very interesting show. We hope to, to bring it to Holland at one point, but that's later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. thank you both. Yeah, for your time and thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank you for having yeah. me. Absolutely. And I hope you you know we managed to answer all your questions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then some. A big thanks to Edouard and Alfredo for spending time with us in the studios during their visit to the Quad Cities. The exhibition Endless Flight is on view at the Figgy until February fourth, twenty eighteen. So be sure to stop by and check it out. As a reminder, you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast or Google Play where you can listen to the episodes on WVIK's website. There's an email on the website in case you'd like to contact us. Also, don't forget that we include additional information and materials on our Facebook page that relate to the episodes. So if you are interested in digging deeper, be sure to follow us. As always, thank you to the Augustana Teaching Museum of Art, the Figgy Art Museum, and WVIK for your continued support of this project. Remember that this project only exists because of listener support, so be sure to go to wvik.org and click on the donate button. A special thanks to our producer, Lacey Scarmana, who's the foundation for this podcast and patient with us always. And this podcast would still just be a mere idea if it wasn't for the generous sponsorship of Paterson Pates Design. 
Thank you so much for making this program possible. Last but not least, thank you to all of our listeners. Until next time. Thank you.